Good morning, CPC. At this time, we're going to release the, the hounds. By hounds, I mean kiddos. Miss Kristen's back here. And I hope that you all had a most wonderful Easter last week. Um, I have to be open and honest and say that uh, this past week um, was a little bit difficult for me uh, in light of both the Kentucky Wildcats losing to Wisconsin on Saturday night. <laughs> I, can, I can feel the sincerity coming from all of you. Uh, and then on Sunday night, it was opening night for baseball and the Chicago Cubs lost to the St. Louis Cardinals. So it's been a rough week, but I appreciate the kind words and the sympathy. Um, but uh, the baseball season is long. The Kentucky Wildcats season is over, but the baseball season is long. And they say that the most important play in baseball is the next pitch. So with that, we'll say, go, Cubs, go. And all God's people said, amen. amen. <laughs> so we're nearing the end of our current series, Roots. Uh, that we started back in August, and week by week we've been walking through the Bible and we've been using the Jesus Storybook Bible as our guide. And last week we celebrated Easter. We celebrated the fact that death does not have the last word. We celebrated resurrection. And resurrection announces that God has not given up on the world because this world matters, this world that we call home. This world that God is redeeming and restoring and renewing, it matters Jesus' friends, we saw last week, they run to the tomb and they, they hear, he is not here. And everything begins to change. Jesus says, they'll take my life and I'm going to die, but that's not the end. When we find ourselves assuming that it's over, that it's lost, that it's gone, that it's broken, that we can't put things back together, we're to remember resurrection. Because it's in those moments of grief and despair and, and overwhelming loss that oftentimes things are actually just beginning. We are a resurrection people. We are an Easter people. So where does that leave us today? So Jesus is risen, and uh, we're pretty happy about that. Amen? Yeah, it's good. The grief and the loss that we felt on Good Friday, it's gone. Jesus is around. He's with us. But this morning, we find ourselves in in an interesting place where Jesus is seemingly leaving us again. And so it's with that that we're going to look at our passage this morning. We're going to look at Luke chapter 24, verse 36 through 53. So if you have your Bible, you can grab that or your phone, or it'll be on the screens as well. Luke 24, verse 36. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I, myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written, the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. 
You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. Now, Luke is the only gospel writer that tells the, the ascension story as explicitly as he does. And it's almost as if he's making up for his colleagues uh, who, who kind of have a lack of detail in the ascension story. Because when we turn to the book of Acts, or as I like to call it, Luke part two, we find out that he begins Acts in the same way that he begins Acts in the same way that he ends Luke. And so as I spent time with these passages, I, I, I kind of it, find it difficult to separate the end of Luke in the beginning of Acts, because they're really one and the same. So with that, we're going to flip over a few pages to Acts chapter 1, verse 1, and I just want to share this with us this morning. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. The book of Acts, if there's one thread that's common, it's the kingdom of God. We find in, in Acts chapter 18, we see Paul, and he, Paul is talking about the kingdom of God. It's a clear thread throughout. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Even now, the disciples still don't quite get what's happening. He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. And I just want to interject there that speculation about the end of the world isn't something Jesus seems to be too interested in. I don't think Jesus is worried that he's going to be left behind. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. What's compelling to Jesus is the Spirit. Jesus is leaving so that the Spirit can reside in each of you, in each of us, and so that you and so that we can have power beyond our wildest imagination in order to change the world, in order to bring heaven on earth in order to be ushers of God's kingdom here on earth. I've heard it said that the church, that us, that we, are the horizontal gravity of God's kingdom on earth. Now it's interesting, as Jesus is talking to his disciples, he tells them that you are going to be witnesses in Jerusalem. But he doesn't stop there. He says you're also going to be witnesses in Judea and Samaria. And that's important it's easy for us to maybe gloss over, but it's important to note that Judea and Samaria were mortal enemies. They hated each other. 
In fact, to the point where if you lived in Judea and you wanted to go to lands on the other side of Samaria, you wouldn't walk through Samaria. You would go many, many miles around so that you didn't have to go through it. Same thing for the Samaritans. They didn't want anything to do with each other. It was ethnic division at its best. It would be as if Jesus said to us today, I want you to go to ISIS and the Tea Party. Or I want you to go to West Lafayette and Bloomington. And what's interesting in the Greek, it's not in Judea and in Samaria. It's in Judea and Samaria, as if it's one thing, that we have to go to both of them. The message of Jesus is supposed to be breaking down barriers beyond any boundaries that we thought were there. And Jesus is explicit. The message doesn't stay in Jerusalem. Now, I hesitate a little bit to show you this just because of what's written on it after what I just said earlier. This is my daughter Emma's Kentucky Wildcat shirt. Uh, My daughter uh, is six and a half years old, and uh, I've mentioned this before, but the half is very important to mention. If you notice, uh, this probably would not fit her. She's six and a half. And I show you this because I think we might all be able to relate that there are some clothes of our children that we don't want to pass on, that we don't want to put in the goodwill bag, that we hold on to, because there are memories that are real and there are memories that are powerful that are attached to them. Uh, My brother gave Emma this, her uncle, and she wore this almost every day for three or four months that I can remember. And so I remember seeing her run around the house with this shirt on. We went and visited my brother. He's a horse trainer, and it was the first time that Emma got to see a horse up close and got to ride on a horse. I remember going to the zoo and she had this shirt on running around and got sick. I remember things that are attached to this. I show you this because if there's one thing that's true in life that you might be able to relate to, it's that a three-year-old's clothes and shoes only last for about six minutes before they outgrow them. It's just what happens. But there's an awareness that a toddler is going to grow. It's just a part of who they are. And this is what's going on at the end of Luke and at the beginning of Acts. The gospel is an ever-expanding reality. Essentially, Jesus is telling the disciples that they can't keep the message confined to this particular cultural, social box here in Jerusalem. Its very nature is to reach more people. Its very nature is to go beyond. And it's going to go, and it's going to go, and it's going to go. And you, he tells his disciples, you are the ones through whom this message will reach the ends of the earth. And it's interesting because in the book of Acts, Luke tells us in chapter 8 that a persecution breaks out. And so in chapter 1, Jesus tells them, hey, you need to go. And in chapter 8, we find them still in Jerusalem, and it's not until a persecution breaks out that they begin to move along. Now, it seems to me that these two passages that Luke gives us, the end of Luke and the beginning of Acts, are about one thing in particular. But in order to get that one thing, I think it's important to understand a couple realities that are true for the disciples now in light of Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection. Things have changed. and One of those things is identity. The New Testament writers often speak about identity and who we are in Christ. We are made new. We're not fundamentally defined by our sins any longer. We're holy, sanctified. We're a new creation. 
Jesus says we've been born from above. So you don't find people in the New Testament calling themselves sinners. You find them using the word saints. We, our fundamental identity has changed. We're a new creation and we're, being, we're learning and we're growing and, and we're, we're living into this. But our past no longer defines us. This is a new reality for us. The phrase that's used in the New Testament is your life in Christ. Another reality that we find time and time again in the New Testament is the idea of belonging. So it's not just our identity that's changed. It's not just that we're a new creation. It's not just that we've been renewed and redeemed and reconciled. It's also that we belong to something now. We belong to a new family. We have brothers and we have sisters. We're part of a group. We're part of a community. We're part of a church. And so in the New Testament, we find lots and lots of passages about the one another's. Care for one another. Mourn with one another. Rejoice with one another. Forgive one another. Carry each other's burdens. And so you find that it isn't just about us. It's not just about you and what happened in you. But we find that we're part of something bigger, part of a group, part of a community, part of a church. And so we are transformed. We have a new identity, but we're also joined to a community that's being transformed as well. And this is where the two passages, in my opinion, come together for one thing. In these passages, Jesus' ascension into heaven is about mission. Jesus is saying, now you all, all of you together, collectively, you all, or as my family in Kentucky will say, y'all, that's spelled Y apostrophe A-L-L. Y'all, all of us together, you individuals with new identities are to join with others that have new identities and you are to go into the world. You have a mission. And these are passages much less about a floating Jesus than they are about mission. If you have identity and belonging without mission, you basically have a country club. And if you have mission without belonging and identity, you have a good humanitarian effort. They all go hand in hand. What Jesus is talking about is people who've been transformed, who have a spirit inside them, who are in community with others who've been transformed and who understand that they have a mission to go into the ends of the earth. And this, this mission is much bigger than us. And so this, these passages aren't specifically about Jerusalem. These passages aren't specifically about Judea and Samaria. And for our situation, I would say that these passages aren't for us here in these walls at ZPC. It's not for just Zionsville. It's not for just Boone County and Hamilton County. It's not just for Indiana or the United States. It's much larger than that. And so Christ has changed the game a little bit. The message that we're supposed to give is much bigger. It's a message for every human being everywhere. The Christ who loves us, who died for us, who defeated death is for everyone. And he gives these flawed, normal, average sort of disciples who look a lot like us a mission to change the world. And Luke gives us the description of the response of the disciples. We're given this mission, and what do we find the disciples doing? They're just staring 
at the sky. They've been given everything that they need to change the world. And it's almost like Luke is saying, what are you staring at? What are you, what are you looking at? Why are you just staring at the sky? Are you, looking, are you looking for something? Do you think Jesus is just going to come back? He's going to be like, hey guys, I'm here. I was just kidding. JK. No. No. He leaves them, and he leaves them with a charge to change the world. And the picture Luke gives us of their response is just simply them staring into the sky. What are you standing there for? You have things to do. The idea is that you would go and do them. I think this is important to catch this morning. Anyone, anywhere, anytime can be a witness to the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Amen? It's not just for special people. It's not just for people with fancy degrees. It's for all of us. It's not just for pastors and missionaries. It's for all of us. It's for all of us Jesus followers with all of our flaws and our cracks and our bruises together with the Spirit carrying out the mission that the risen Christ has given us. Now, if you're here today and you're a Christian, that means at some point along the way, you heard about God's love through Jesus. And that means the disciples kind of did what they were supposed to do. It went beyond Jerusalem. Anyone, anywhere, anytime can be a witness to the saving grace of Jesus. And sometimes we witness with our words. Sometimes we witness with our actions. And sometimes we witness with just simply being present. There are a lot of people in our culture who, if they were to meet a Christian who was simply present with them, who wasn't mean, who wasn't angry, who wasn't narrow-minded or judgmental, it would change their, their mindset. It would blow them away. There are a lot of people in our culture that just meeting a Christian who is kind would blow them away. And sometimes just being present with someone changes the way they are. Sometimes we witness with our words. Here's what I think about this. Here's what I think about that. And sometimes we witness with our actions. We, we get up. We show up. We go about our work, we're kind, we're humble, we're respectful, and we do a good job. And over time, people say, what's, what's it with you? You're different. And sometimes it's just simply being present. So in Acts 1, when these disciples are told that they're going to go to the ends of the earth, I can imagine them saying, uh, are you sure? Are, yeah, this is, what, this is really what you want. Are you sure about this? Because uh, I really, I don't even know that I've gone outside of Jerusalem. I'm, I maybe stepped a little, you know, a little bit into Judea. I've never gone any further than that. Are you, the ends of the earth, how, how is that even possible? And so there's a re- reality mixed in there that, that witness and risk go hand in hand. When Jesus empowers them and says, now go to the ends of the earth, that involves quite a bit of risk. And Jesus even tells some of his followers This is going to end in death for you. This risk is going to take you to that place. Witness and risk go hand in hand. It might not be safe, but we've been empowered by Jesus to be brave. And it reminds me of a conversation in one of my all-time favorite books, uh, The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. 
uh, part of the Chronicles of Narnia series by C.S. Lewis. There's a, there's a conversation in there between the kids, between Peter, Edmund, Susan, and Lucy, and they come across Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, and they're hanging out in Mr. and Mrs. Beaver's house, and Mr. and Mrs. Beaver begin to tell them about Aslan, and they have no idea who, they, they call him a guy, they, who, is, who is this guy? And they tell him he's not a guy, he's a lion. And so they, they begin to ask questions, and one of the questions they ask is, Aslan safe? And this is what Mr. Beaver has to say about that. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. We have a mission. We are witnesses, and there's risk in that. And that's a scary thing. And so it's with this that we're led to the table this morning. As witnesses to a resurrected Jesus. And as we think about our changed identity, I could ask the question, is there anybody this morning that needs to hear good news? Is there anybody here today who you've been beating yourself up and you've been dragging your past around behind you? Is there anybody here today that struggles with temptations, with addictions, and it owns you and it dominates you and you have an unbelievably crushed and distorted sense of who you are? And the good news, the the gospel is that in Christ you are a new creation and that you are not that anymore. You are somebody new. And sometimes we let these negative messages about who we are or who we aren't or who we should be distort our realities of who we really are. And so this morning, as we come to the table, those messages might cause us to limp a little bit. We might crawl to the bread and to the cup because we're so beaten down and exhausted. But we're made new, amen? That's a good thing. If we need to limp to the table this morning, If we need to crawl, maybe we need somebody to carry us, that's okay. That's what it's for. This table has been good news. It's been strength. It's been substance for millions of people for a couple thousand years. Maybe this morning you came through the doors full of doubts. And so this morning when you come to the table, you need the faith of others to carry you along. Maybe you're just filled with brokenness and despair. And so when you come to the table, you need the hope of others to spill over on to you. If you don't have something, just take it from somebody else. That's what this community is for. That's why belonging can be such a powerful thing. The table is as much about what God has given us as it is about what we give and receive from each other. The table not only has a vertical aspect to it, but it has a horizontal aspect to it. We all have our bubbles in our own little lives. We have school, we have work, we have the places that we live, we have our houses and our apartments and our condos. We have the places that we play. We have our little bubble and our little sphere and we like it most of the time. It's comfortable. Perhaps this morning when we come to the table as a church, as a community, we would say, I want to be a witness to the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Perhaps we should come to the table and say, God, breathe into me this mission. Breathe your mission into us. And it could be as simple as your words or your actions 
or just being somewhere that you need to be. Maybe this morning you're stuck, you're frozen, things have been stale, and maybe you're staring up into the sky and just waiting. And so as you come to the table this morning, let's ask God to wake us up to the spirit-filled, exciting, unpredictable, not always safe kind of life, kind of mission that he's called us to. Amen. As John said, as we, uh, part of that passage and a part of actually what we're doing here in communion is this opportunity um, to remember that we are a new identity and that we have a belonging and that we are on, on mission for God. And so uh, we're going to do uh, communion today uh, by intinction. And, and if you're uh, new here, don't know what that means. It just basically means you, you, come, you come and you, you, you take a piece of bread and you dip it in and, um, and then you eat it uh, as a part of the body and blood of Christ. And one of the things I like about the way that we do this when we do intinction is that it gives you an opportunity to, to see the other people who are a broken people, as John said, but serving a Christ who is broken for us. And sometimes I think it's good for us. If you certainly, if you just want to sit there in prayer and close your eyes, that's fine. But if you want to, to look at your brothers and sisters in Christ as they come forward and to be reminded of who it is that you are in community with and to perhaps say a, a prayer for them or, or, or thank God for them for whatever it is, wherever it is that they are in life. Um, it seems to me a great opportunity um, for us to remember that we are not alone, that we are with Jesus.